you're listening to the Soil Talk podcast presented by Central Valley Ag. This is Keith Byerly, Precision Ag Manager at CBA, and I'm joined by Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead at CBA. On this episode of Soil Talk, we're going to talk about some of the split application things we're doing to be more efficient with our nitrogen applications, inhibitors, and the models out there that exist that help us make determinations on rate. But first, Tim, why don't we review a little bit about where we've covered so far on nitrogen? Yeah. So we talked a little bit about how in nitrogen application, you're really supplementing what Mother Nature can do. We talked a little bit about the nitrogen cycle and how the fertilizer application we put down has got to go through different uh, forms uh, before the plant takes it up generally. And we talked about interaction with uh, soil microbial life. We also spent some time going through uh, our particular uh, nitrogen formulas that we use to make nitrogen prescriptions for growers. And we talked about some different theories there when guys needed maybe a little bit more nitrogen, especially if uh, they might be looking at a little more loss, maybe fall anhydrous application. We talked about uh, Oh, just our own thoughts on how we put together a nitrogen rack. We talked a little bit about that interaction with soil CEC and the ability of the soil to hold nitrogen. So now I think we're ready to talk a little bit more about uh, efficiency and using nitrogen a little bit more efficiently out there. That was the exact opposite of a brief description. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was beautiful too. Wow. I cried a little bit. <laughs> so this week we're joined by Mike Swingman the Technical Development Manager for Verdesian Life Sciences. And we're bringing Mike in this week because when it comes to nitrogen, there may not be a single person on the planet that has more of an unhealthy obsession about nitrogen than this guy right here to my right. So, Mike, welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the time. You know, I was just thinking about it. If nitrogen was thinking about me as much as I think about it most days right now. And uh, this is a great topic. It's really timely. And um, I'd, I'd just love to be here with you guys today. Give us a little of your background, Mike. What makes uh, you interested in nitrogen? You know, Keith and I go way back, and you and I go way back. It's it's conversations that we've had about how do we make farmers the most efficient possible, right? And we look at the nitrogen landscape. One of two things is going to happen in the future. Either regulatory bodies are going to tell us what to do or, or end users are going to tell us what to do. And I think we have an opportunity now with, with the market we're in to to show growers value by kind of flexing our agronomic muscle and, and using all these things we've talked about to really help that grower be more efficient and get the most out of every pound of nitrogen they apply. So a couple of weeks ago, we started this whole conversation off around the NRDs and those things like you mentioned that are really driving from a regulatory standpoint, the need to be more efficient in our nitrogen application, even though we should have been more proactive, we should be doing these things. It seems like the regulatory piece is the bump out of all of that. So let's start with the talk about split applications. You know, Mike, you and I come from the land out west where split applications is just the norm, whether nitrogen goes on three or five or eight times out of a growing season, that's what's normal. For us, when we go out over to Tim's neck of the woods, you know, a single application of nitrogen six, seven months before the crop's in the ground or, or definitely eight months before the crop's going to use it is what the norm is. And that's probably one of the first things that I think a lot of people need to think about when it comes to this conversation of nitrogen application. Yeah, you know, the, the that kind of goes through all these stages of economics and labor right like what nitrogen source is the cheapest and when you have the most 
labor or power sitting around to make those application choices. That's why you see some of those parts of the world drive to that fall anhydrous application because they don't have they don't have a whole lot to do. They don't have livestock anymore. That that source is cheaper and and they can get it done in the fall. Um, coincidentally, we get a year like this and nobody gets anything done in the fall. And and I think that's what gives us the opportunity to have these discussions about these split applications. It's a it's a learning moment given given to us by Mother Nature, and I I, I think it's pretty exciting because we get to leverage stuff that you and I think is commonplace to the places where that seems pretty obscure or pretty weird. One of the things I think is going to change in the future is like we've talked about with the regulation. You know, right now we talk about regulations and things coming down the pipeline. But at the moment, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a grower tell me, yeah, I understand that, uh, you know, putting a little bit of uh, this on in the spring or putting a little bit of it on in season or using an inhibitor makes sense. But it's just so much easier for me to put down another 20 or 30 pounds of nitrogen up front as anhydrous ammonia when I'm doing it, that it's just simpler. And I don't have to go through all the headache of uh, worrying about if it's going to be raining when I need to get my nitrogen on the second time or, you know, this other product's going to cost me 40, 50 cents a pound versus the 30, 35 cents a pound I'm paying for anhydrous ammonia. So right now, some guys just think it makes more sense for them to throw down some extra nitrogen. And if it gets lost, it gets lost. So from an environmental standpoint, maybe that's all right. But you look at what we're facing here in 2019's growing season, and we know that we're not going to get all of our we already know we didn't get the fall nitrogen applied. We know that the way the weather's looking right now, spring anhydrous run is going to be difficult. I don't know if impossible. Only Mother Nature and Time's going to tell us on those pieces of things that happen here. But if we look at all these pieces, isn't it more economical to get in a practice of splitting our nitrogen application in the long run? Because we drive the market to be accustomed to tons in the fall and tons in season versus a year like this year, where if we don't get this fall run, this pre-plant run done, we're going to have a spike in prices to get through this summer glut that we're going to need to get on just to get back to baseline. Yeah. And, you know, I want to make a, a point that I don't think any grower is grossly over applying nitrogen, right? Like they're, they're, they're accounting for some fluff and trying to take out that loss factor and, and account for it. But I, I think it's true. I think you're right, Keith. I think it's an opportunity for us to 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 change the game just a little bit and get growers into a different mindset. Because if we can do that um, down, it might not pay off as big this year, but they'll see the benefit this year in in that efficiency. But then as we move the market, the fertilizer market to be the inventories to match new demand curves, um, I think that helps the grower out in the long run because. I mean, we got a whole structure of, of supply chain that we have to change if we're going to go that way, too. So let's talk about split application a little bit. Keith, you're from a little different area than I am. What does split application mean to you? What do you think of? Split application means that we're going to have a pre-plan application, usually, you know, some sort of a weed and feed sort of an application out there, a UAN with some herbicide pre-emergence, and then we may put the rest of it on with the pivot. We may use Y drops. We may use some urea, but 60% of that nitrogen is going to be applied in season on that crop and 40 up front. Yeah. And I agree with Keith. And I also think it's a great, that's our best opportunity. Mark to that down. Mike agreed with me. Yeah. I was so thinking that myself. That'd be the first time in 17 years. That Probably the that. last. <laughs> 
It also gives an opportunity to leverage those VR variable rate nitrogen applications when you do that split application too, because you can do a flat rate on that of a very you know minimal need of that crop early, and you can come in and you can balance it out using some of the things we're going to talk about later, um, and really leverage two things, timing and rate at the same time in that four R strategy. I I'm I don't think it matters if you do it twice, three times, four times, five times, eight times. Um, every iteration you do is better than just once. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Now, where I'm from, that western Iowa or slightly eastern Nebraska, just eastern edge of Nebraska, you know, when we talk split application, we're talking one additional application. You go from one to two. They're used to either a fall anhydrous or a spring UAN application that's pre-plant. Um, getting some of that split off and putting it in season, whether it's a, a side dress, colder cart type thing or a top dress with a spinner. Uh, but one more application around V4 to V6 is probably the common thing people do when they're doing splits. Of course, that's in non-irrigated fields. Once you've got irrigation, that's a game changer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so cheap then and so easy to use that irrigation system as as an applicator out there. And and it's efficient. I mean, that plant's the perfect funnel for putting that product right down at those crown roots, those brace roots, and and getting it into the plant there. That that's just absolutely a no brainer when you've got that irrigation system out there. I think personally that that every grower that's got an irrigation system on the field should be using some product through that. And I know we've gone through all these conversations and all these fears throughout the years about. Will my pivot rust out? Am I going to ruin my irrigation system by running nitrogen through it and things like that? Well, if that was the case, once you got west of the Antelope Holt County line, maybe somewhere out in there from Highway 14 to Highway 281 and west, every pivot corner in those fields would be littered with old irrigation systems for the amount of nitrogen that's been through those systems. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, our average part per million in our groundwater is higher than what we're adding to any any one single fertigation pass. When you think about we're putting, you know, 10 gallons of 32 a minute or an hour and 900 gallons of water a minute, like you start doing the math and like we're only adding a couple parts per million to that, to that, to that mix. And so we're, we're really just kind of keeping, we're adding double, maybe in some cases, doubling the parts per million of nitrates that's in the groundwater um, at those low levels to, to make that fertigation application. And then the salt, it's not really like we're adding a whole lot of salt on a part per million basis to either. It's, it's I think we have all these wives tales about fertigation applications or e even those concerns of I'm not going to get that in season application made, even if it's a split with one application. Like we always get windows to get things done. Um, very rare. If very rarely does it ever get so wet that we're not going to get into the field from June 1st to June 30th. Uh, that season's going to get really compressed, but like very rarely do we not get windows to get in the field. I, I think we just have a lot of fear over change with growers that I've always, I've done it this way. And the fear of the unknown is bigger than the fear of the known. And the problem is we're getting a lot more fear of the unknowns out there. What, what regulatory bodies are going to do, what, what people like Tyson, Walmart, McDonald's is going to do, or I'm really going to drive this market in the future. And I think we have to be aware of that as, as agronomists and growers and, and people in the community. What I try to do when I'm working with a guy who doesn't do any split application is just try to move them to maybe a two third, one third. So if they're doing 150 pounds of nitrogen overall, let's do 100 pounds up front and 50 pounds in season. If they're normally doing 180 pounds, it's 120 pounds up front and then the other 60 in season. 
And of course, one of the first arguments is, uh, boy, if it's raining when I'm trying to get that in season, it's just not going to work. And I think we've got equipment now that makes that a lot uh, less of an issue. With these high clearance spinners, especially, or the high clearance dry machines that we can run your re out on and still get out over that crop at V8, maybe even V10, uh, we've got a lot more opportunity than we used to have just a toolbar with coulters on it that maybe maybe V6 was about the latest we could go. What do you think, Keith? Well, so I think that leads into the next part of this conversation. You know, we spent our time talking about these nitrogen equations and, and where they came from and how are they they were derived. Then we start talking about how we all agree that it's a good idea to split nitrogen applications up, even if it's one to two or two to three or or whatever that model is, it's more efficient, it, it's better for the plant uptake and all of those pieces as we go out there. But when you take those pieces into consideration and you say, okay, my plan from the get-go is gonna be to split my applications up and I'm gonna do this, where does that leave the room in this whole conversation for these nitrogen models at that point in time? How do we, how do we say, oh, I'm already deciding to split up my nitrogen application, and since I'm not putting as much out there at any one point in time to be in danger, is there even a place to, to justify the expense of having a model on the farm that helps us understand potential losses and potential opportunities that we have throughout the course of the growing season? My opinion on the models is if you're doing split application, you're the perfect grower to use those models. Because what you can do is put down again that half to two thirds of your total application up front. Again, this is in heavier soil, of course. And then let that model make the decision on what that final um, application should be, not just go back to, well, I needed 180 pounds and I put down 120, so I still need 60. Instead, let the model drive it. Maybe you actually need 20 additional pounds. Maybe you don't need any. Maybe you need 80 pounds. The models will do a good, pretty good job of modeling the loss of your applied nitrogen, the amount of uh, mineralized nitrogen that Mother Nature is going to contribute, and what that crop looks like and whether it can take uh, make good use of that additional nitrogen. Yeah, I, I think it also gives you opportunity to kind of gauge that yield goal as best you can. We sit here today and we look out the window, we're like, yeah, we're going to raise 270 bushel corn across the road. But whatever happens after we open that bag, we lose, lose a little bit of yield all the time from stand loss to maybe some weather damage to and let the models play out and feed as much back information back into it as you can because maybe your real yield number is 250 not 270 and we no longer we need be fertilizing for 270 bushel corn like that i think the end goal is really start watching what you spend per bushel on nitrogen in that final in that final price right like and you figure out where you're going to make the most money and it's not about pounds anymore, right? It's about cost of production. It's about limiting that cost of production to, I'm only gonna use so many pounds of nitrogen per unit of grain and only use so many dollars. And I think I think we start talking about that and put all these things together. It really helps us get to that goal with the grower. So I think you hit on something right there. And, and that is the, maybe lack of a better term, the obsession that has to go into this, right? We, we get, some of our growers are really passionate about marketing their grain to the best of their ability. Some of these guys are extremely passionate about how they shop for their inputs, their chemicals, their fertilizers, things like that. They put a lot of management, a lot of time into those pieces of their operation. When it comes to nitrogen application, 
they hook up something, they make a trip across the field and they're done with it. I think there's an, a tremendous opportunity, a tremendous payback here when you use something like an Adapt-N or one of these models out there to start feeding that information into it throughout the course of the year, spend a little bit of time managing your fields and you're going to get a world of information back. Is all of it exactly what you need to do? No, you've got to play with it and you've got to find what works for you and your operation. You've got to model, you've got to take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt here as far as what it says the weather's going to do versus your gut instinct and what your experience has been on your land over time and things like that. But it's still a tremendous tool that helps you take your management level from, from the basement to the penthouse. And I know that's a bit of an exaggeration, but like you said before, Mike, I don't think there's guys out here that are doing a bad job on selecting their nitrogen rates. But with a little bit more management here, we can see some big rewards, both environmentally and economically, to upping our game. And it's it's really the difference in, in kind of building a race car, right? Like, what's the difference between a 160-mile-an-hour race car and a 200-mile-an-hour race car? Not a whole lot of difference other than just a few tweaks here and there, right? Like, it, you watch an NASCAR race all day, like a tire change or just a you know change in the wedge or something else makes all the difference in the world how a car handles. What we're trying to do is help you help you make that adjustment to your car in the middle of the race to get to the finish line fastest and get to the finish line the most efficient. I, I, I think, you know, the 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 more you run to the razor's edge of nitrogen rate, the the higher your risk gets. I mean, we all agree on the same rule, right? Like it's all fun and games till our corn turns yellow. And then one of us is going to get a phone call and one of you growers is going to be really unhappy. Um, but the road, the faster you go, the narrower the road gets. And, and it's about keeping it in the middle. It's about finding a way to, to keep all four wheels on the pavement. And I think that that constant learning of nitrogen management and that, that constant feedback loop you have from season to season is going to help you get there. And hopefully we get there before somebody else tells us what to do. I think that's the perfect analogy, the race car thing. Because, yeah, sometimes it's about building the fastest race car that gets there the best. But there's a lot of times as a race fan that I sit down on a Sunday and I watch a race and it turns into a fuel mileage race. And it turns into being, you know, taking your foot off of the gas at the right times and being smart about how you manage your input and fuel to win that race. And that's a lot about what we're doing here in, in nitrogen models, too, is, is taking that race mentality. And some people absolutely lose their minds. When you talk to race fans about how boring fuel mileage races are, but a win's a win. It doesn't matter if you got there because you lasted six more laps than everybody else or you beat them by six seconds. Let's just keep that analogy going and shift gears here. Let's talk about inhibitors a little bit. <clears throat> how do you use inhibitors, Keith? Let's start with the man here that right. that comes with this. And I think probably first and foremost, we should would def, differentiate what is inhibitors because there are inhibitors that do different things out there on the market for our nitrogen. That's a huge and point. a lot of people strictly think of inhibitors as something that I'm going to put in with my anhydrous to inhibit my nitrogen loss from that product. So nitrogen stabilizers or nitrogen nitrogen inhibitors or nitrification inhibitors sometimes get used interchangeably and they're really not and I, you have to line products up to source and loss risk right so if you're you have from a loss risk standpoint you have volatilization 
nitrification, which leads to leaching, and denitrification, which is kind of out of on its own. So you have to look at those things, and you have to think about your source. So top urea is really high risk for, for volatilization. Weed and feed UAN, to a certain extent, is really high risk for that because of the ammonia and urea portion of the UAN that you have sitting on top of the soil. Nitrification will happen to all forms of nitrogen that we put on because once it's in the soil, it's that breakdown of ammonium to nitrate. And that only happens when we apply nitrogen fertilizer in nature. That doesn't happen on its own. There's not enough ammonium in the cycle that's being, that's not being exchanged between mineralization and immobilization that, that, that the soil has to do that to achieve any sort of balance. And then denitrification is when we have really wet soils or We'll talk a little bit about mostly wet soils and irrigation situations where we're above field capacity, try to manage that acre with water, that we have micropores that are filled in the soil. And that's that's when nitrate becomes nitrogen gas and gets lost to the atmosphere. So when we talk about that, you you can't just take one and put it in all three slots. You have to put them where they belong. So like your NBPTs, um, our polymers all go towards that volatilization piece. Uh, DCD, nitropyrin, our polymers all kind of fit in to that nitrification and leaching space. And then if you can stop that and you can slow down the amount of nitrate in the soil, you have less of a pool to denitrify. But that's also where kind of those and you know our MVPTs and and our polymers kind of sit is in that space of well it's going to stop nitrification. I think you have to be able to understand what your risk is. And at the end of the day, the nitrogen stabilizer family really protects us against time, right? We used to think that it's just the the soil was our enemy. No, it's when we're applying nitrogen 90 to 100 days before crop use, time becomes our biggest enemy because we we have no we can't stop it. Right. Um, and, and so we have to think about how we leverage or, or warp that time just a little bit. As Keith and I both had a boss that says, you have to understand the rules to know how to bend them. And I think that's where we got to kind of learn what we do and how we use these stabilizers or inhibitors to manage those correctly. So, Mike, what are some common trade names in, in those two groups? We've got that urease inhibitor that we really need to think about if we're laying um, nitrogen products on the soil surface and we're worried about volatilization. And then we've got those nitrification inhibitors, which are more about uh, keeping nitrogen in the ammonia form once it gets into the soil. What are common products that growers are going to hear in, that fit in each of those pools so they can kind of differentiate? So, you know, from Verdesian Life Sciences, our products, New Charge G and Nutrisphere, are going to sit and are going to be both of that urease inhibitor and that vault and that nitrification inhibitor class. But when you look at the rest of the, the urease inhibitors, you're talking about things like Agritane Ultra and, and some of the, the Agritane family of products. When you look at that nitrification piece, that's when you start seeing the inserts, the instincts, um, and some of the new products that are coming out. Uh, the Centuros are in that category. And like so, and and if they're in the second category, they kind of fit into the third category. Like they kind of wedge their way into the third category. There's no product that just sits out there for the third category alone. And I can, I, I a couple weeks ago, and you saw the presentation. I kind of laid that out where where your highest risk is by application time and source, and where the products fit in a, in a matrix. And and it's really interesting to lay them out that way and kind of figure out where all the players are. Um, 
the thing I can tell you is you need to work with somebody who knows what that system is and knows what the products are. If you throw out a product name, if you throw out an active ingredient name and your agronomist looks at you like they have no idea, then somebody, need, one of the two of you needs to learn. I think that's a big risk is that growers will grab the wrong product. They're trying to stop, say, denitrification because they've got some time across a, a lot of rainfall events, or maybe it's leaching if their soils are lighter. So really denitrification versus leaching almost has more to do with soil type. If you're really sandy, leaching is probably a bigger issue. If you're heavier soils, it's probably more denitrification. But the key thing is if you keep that nitrogen in the ammonia form, you don't have to worry about either. Um, I think the key thing, again, is, is growers just need to look at their products and find out what does this product do? Does it stop ammonia volatilization from the soil surface or does it stop the conversion of ammonia to nitrate so that you don't have as many issues with leaching or denitrification? So before we can break the rules, we have to know what the rules are. So when we talk about rules, is there a rule of thumb that we should be looking at that we should abide by? Yes, the due to vibes that we need to look at when it comes to deciding, okay, I'm going to put on X percent of my nitrogen in a single application. I absolutely have to use the appropriate nitrogen inhibitor. I, I think so. Whatever your risk tolerance is, is where we start this conversation. What I can tell you is bigger pools of nitrogen have bigger risk of loss. So the more nitrogen you apply at any one time, the, the more that loss risk is because 10% of 100 pounds is less than 10% of 200 pounds, right? Like I'm not very good at a lot of things, but I'm good at math. Um, then the other thing is, it's like spreading that time out. And and I, I say, I'd say always because my our company sells, you know, nitrogen stabilizers. And I truly believe it that the nitrogen application, the farthest away from uptake is the one you need to protect. If you're only going to choose one, protect it. And then if you decide you want to do something else with that second application or, you know, sequential applications, that's fine. But no, there's cost incurred in that, but protect the biggest pool. That's the farthest away from uptake. And I think that's going to serve you very well. And then understand that the same rules of nitrogen response in a given year for the right rate of nitrogen applies to nitrogen, this nitrogen stabilizer family. And I mean, we're three pretty smart people, but I don't think any one of us has got has hit the correct nitrogen rate on a field two years in a row. No. I'm happy if I get within 30 pounds of what the optimal rate would be. And I think that's a key thing, too. People will do a trial with an inhibitor and they'll do a side by side and maybe they'll apply 150 pounds of nitrogen and within inhibitor and without. And the within inhibitor didn't yield any more than the without. And, and then they're mad because the inhibitor didn't work. And I'll tell them. It's not that the inhibitor didn't work. It All these inhibitors do what they say they're going to do. It's that 150 pounds of nitrogen was way more nitrogen than your crop happened to need that year. We can't predict that ahead of time. And that's what the inhibitors help us do is ensure against some of that risk of loss. Right. I mean, Keith and I have experienced places where you have zero nitrogen applied and, and it yields within 30 pounds of 180 pounds of nitrogen. And we know long term, that's not a strategy that's going to play out, Right. And so I think when you do it, just take into consideration that, yes, like you're in years where if you are driving pop plant population and driving yield goals and, and really cranking down your nitrogen rate, you're more likely to see a response than if you're on the lower end of your population and you're on the higher end of your nitrogen rate for your yield goal. 
you're going to see let your over the course of time you're going to see less and less of a response because that year to year change is going to have less of effect on you because the numbers game the numbers just don't calculate out right like it's that sink source relationship i think trust the science that they that the products like tim said the products do what they say they're going to do what we can't what we can't overcome is that the soil is going to give us anywhere from 80 to 200 pounds of nitrogen in a given year. And that, that doesn't change whether we're putting a stabilizer on or not. Like that's what affects our night, our right nitrogen right at the end. And I, I think, but at the end of the day, right, it's one more step where you're doing the right thing. Right. And you're, you're protecting your investment long-term. So as we kind of wrap all this up for the day, I think back to where we, we started with a couple of weeks ago and that nitrogen recommendation that we started with and looking at how that nitrogen prescription, how that nitrogen rate is derived from it. And I continue to see how important it is to get a strategy developed around these three things, especially in that, about how we're splitting our nitrogen, how we're using inhibitors, and if we're using those models to help us refine our rates through the year, but how important it is to get in a cadence or a habit of doing the same thing for three years you know we can't just look at it as a snapshot for one year because the weather is going to be so wildly different next year that we don't know and two years probably isn't even fair we've got to stick to the plan and stick to some acres for three years at least before we start to understand what really is working or not working for our operations And whether we want to increase nitrogen use efficiency because we want to lower lower our input costs and reduce our nitrogen rates a little bit, or whether we have to increase our efficiency because regulations tell us you're not going to be able to apply an extra 30 pounds of nitrogen just as a, a gimme or as a little insurance, I think we need to move to these tools. Split application, inhibitors, and the models all have a place, and we're going to have to move to them eventually. I, the, the last thing is I don't think any one of these tools alone is as good as putting two or one or more of these right. tools together, right? Like I, I think that one one new tool doesn't give you a system. It just gives you a new tool. But when we start using them in concert with each other and learning how that all interacts with each other, I think we have better better impacts. The other thing is, is look change the way you look at this metric. Instead of saying, I applied this many pounds per bushel, start talking about like what, like one of the big things we do at Verdesian Life Sciences, we're starting to adopt new metrics of nutrient use. And one of them we're trying to really figure out and fit plays is the nitrogen balance. It's counting all the nitrogen, all the nitrogen out and having a range of where your operation is going to be the most efficient and work within that range. And when it gets out of either way, you make changes to get you back to center. And I, th- I think that's the long-term strategy on how we get ahead of this regulation and, and what could be coming down from the food industry is like, we got to show them that we're doing the thing, doing all the things We're we're using tools and we're using new metrics to decide how we're doing things better. And so this week, we're going to start a new segment with our guests where we talk about their favorite farming memory growing up and, and things of that nature. So Mike, give us your best PG version of an Antelope County Mike Zwingman farm story. So I'm going to ask for a little interaction between you two here. You can either have A, the goat and church story, B, the short-handled sledgehammer story, or C, the truck-on-truck violence story. 
Goat and church. I'm going with the goat and church as well. Yeah. All right. So I was a young kid, right? Like I was probably four or five. And we were sitting in church one Sunday morning and I didn't want to be there, right? Because I was five and it was really nice outside. So I kept looking at my dad. And I'm like, dad, the goats are out. And he, he'd get more and more mad at me. And I'm like, no, the goats are out. I'm sure of it. The goats are out. And, you know, this was the 80s. So if you got taken outside of church... You have to remember, there's no witnesses outside. Nothing good every, happens when you leave the public eye. Because everybody's in church, right? So my dad took me out, had a stern talking to me that I don't act that way in church. And sure enough, we get home and the goats are out, right? And I didn't let him out. I didn't do anything, but I, he was not any more happy when we got home <laughs> than he was in church. Um, and he swears for a long time that I opened the gate before we left and I did not, but like I kept saying, the goats are out, and, and it did not end well. For so it was four year old divine goat intervention, five year old telepathy. That's yes. what I got. God answered my prayers about the goats being out. I guess. <laughs> There's so many places you could take that story that are wrong. So, with that, Mike, thank you for the the story. Although I I know the sledgehammer story, so I had to I had to pass on that one. So we'll save that for another time. Thank you for joining us today on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CVA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cvacoop.com, and you can see our precision-focused blog videos every Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Tim Mundorf and Keith Byerly. <music>